0: Pastor James Cadiz says, if you choose to run from God, it won't end well for you.
1: Any of you that are running away from your call that God has placed upon your life, read the book of Jonah. There's a whale coming for you, and it's not going to feel very good. And you're going to get vomited out. You're going to throw fit. You're not going to have any shade. You're going to burn in the hot sun. You're going to misrepresent God, and God's still going to work despite you right? And then you're going to learn your lesson and start serving God the way you should. And so it's kind of like that insurance commercial, this happened and then this happened and then this happened. Don't do this, you know? That's the same thing, you know? Don't run from God. I have found that peace only comes from you. I have found That joy only comes from you. Cause all I need is you
0: welcome to Light on the Hill, online at LightOnthehillradio.com. Today we get right back into our survey of the Bible, where we're studying the Bible from Genesis to Revelation in just 16 studies. If you've ever wanted to go through the entire Bible in about a month, this is your chance. In today's introductory message, Pastor James Cadiz is giving us a brief summary of Jonah through Revelation.
1: Jonah is one of these guys that gets ticked off at God. He's mad at God. And he wants God to know how mad he is at him. I mean, he, he is mad. Well, why is he mad at God? Well, because he hates the Ninevites. He hates their guts, right? Right. But yet God tells Jonah, because Jonah's a prophet, to go warn the Ninevites of destruction. It's going to happen, that God's going to destroy them. Now, Jonah was ticked. He didn't want to do that. And the reason why he didn't want to do that is because he knew there was a chance, even on the off chance, that the Ninevites would repent. And if they repented, God would spare them. And Jonah did not want that to happen. He hated them that much. His hate drove him. So what does Jonah do? Jonah decides that he's going to get on a boat, And take off on the boat and run away from God. Well, God says, "Uh uh-uh. He allows this storm to take place. And they start throwing everything off the boat. And as they start throwing all the supplies off the boat, they realize that the boat's still going to capsize. And so suddenly someone's got a sixth sense in them. And they say, there is somebody on this boat that is cursed by God. And we need to throw them off too, right? And so... Jonah is the guy. They realize he's the guy. They throw him off the boat. He falls into the water. And guess what? A whale swallows him. Well, we think a whale. They say a fish. We don't know. But either way, a fish swallows him. He hangs out in the belly of a fish. Now, that's a nasty. I hate eating fish. I hate the smell of fish. Can you imagine being inside of a fish for three days, right? And what happens is he's inside this fish for three days. And the fish decides, I've had enough of you. I can't digest you. And he goes, bleh. After three days, he bars Jonah on the shore and Jonah is still so ticked off about all of this. After he washes up, he says, I'm still not going there. Sits under a tree to get some shade on a hot day and even the tree itself dies, you know, and he gets no shade. I mean, and you see this picture of this guy who's just miserable. He hates himself. He hates God. He's mad because he doesn't want to do God's will because he knows if he does it, then these people will live and Jonah doesn't want to see people. He wants them to go to hell. He literally wants them to go to hell. So what does Jonah do? He says, fine, God, you want me to be obedient? I'll be obedient. I'll go sell the message. So what does Jonah do? This is, of course, evidence that God knows what he's doing, that God is the one who does the work, right? And God is a merciful and graceful God. And and Jonah goes in there and he starts walking through Nineveh. And this is all Jonah says. He says, 40 days and sudden destruction. That's all he says. I mean, he practically told them all to go straight to hell. That's pretty much what he did. And he walked through that town, and the king, the Bible says, of Nineveh, ends up doing what? He puts on sackcloth and ashes, and he repents, and he says, we've done evil. Lord, please forgive us. Please spare us. And Jonah's like, dang it! I knew that would happen, you know? And it's it's a great book. And you can, any of you that are running away from your call that God has placed upon your life, read the book of Jonah. There's a whale coming for you and it's not going to feel very good and you're going to get vomited out. You're going to throw fit. You're not going to have any shade. You're going to burn in the hot sun. You're going to misrepresent God and God's still going to work despite you, right? And then you're going to learn your lesson and start serving God the way you should. And so... It's kind of like that insurance commercial. This happened and then this happened and then this happened. Don't do this, you know. That's the same thing, you know? Don't run from God. Running from God is bad. Don't run from God. If you do, you'll end up on a boat. If you end up on a boat, there'll be a storm. If you if there's a storm, they'll start throwing everything off the boat. When they realize that everything off the boat doesn't work, they'll throw you off the boat. If they throw you off the boat, you'll get swallowed by a whale. If you get swallowed by a whale, you'll be in there for three days. If you're in there for three days, you'll get vomited out. If you get vomited out, you'll wash up and then you'll want shade on a sunny day. And then if you want shade on a sunny day, then the tree will die and if the tree dies then you'll get upset with God and if you get upset with God you'll still tell the message anyway and when you tell the message they'll still get saved and once they get saved you know you'll let don't rebel against God you know that's kind of the, the impression that you get and that's the book of Jonah it's like they had to turn Jonah into one of those like Jonah commercials, like an insurance commercial. Anyway, so then you've got Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Oh, Habakkuk is a good one. Oh, it's a good one. What's the most... Anybody got the most famous verse in Habakkuk? Anybody tell me what with a good... Yes. That's right. You both quoted it at the same time. That's right. What's, anybody know the context of that story? The just shall live by faith? It is such a cool context. Here's what it is, okay? Without me kind of putting anybody on the spot. Habakkuk says, God, why are you taking care of our enemies? Why are you on their side? We're righteous people and you keep spanking us and why are you doing things this way and why are you doing things that way? And he continues to, continue, he continues to question the methods of God. You know, I never really understood the just shall live by faith until I learned the context of that passage. And God tells him, hey, Habakkuk, relax. I know what I'm doing. And you're one of those righteous guys. And so as a righteous guy, your life will be sustained by your faith. The just lives by faith in me, knowing that I know what I'm doing and I will take care of you. And that's a good piece of wisdom that God gives to him, isn't it? And there's some cool things that you learn in there. And I'm not going to give it all away, but as you go through the learning about these prophets, we get into Haggai, Zechariah. Of course, Zechariah, there's some great stuff in Zechariah, right? And um, you know, some of my favorite verses come out of the book of Zechariah. Matter of fact, one of my favorite verses is a word to Zerubbabel. If you remember that word to Zerubbabel where he says, hey, listen, Zerubbabel, he says, not by power, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Then we get into Haggai and uh, Malachi Then we get into the New Testament. Now, of course, there is a pretty good-sized gap between the Old and the New Testament, believed to be somewhere in the neighborhood of close to about 400 years. And that's where we learn about some of the historical events that took place in those 400 years. You can learn about some of those historical events in the books of the Apocrypha and the pseudepigraphal writings. I wouldn't even mess with those books because uh, there's a lot of problems with them. But we can get some good insight as into some historical things like the book of the Maccabees. Then we get into the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, the Gospels. And um, oftentimes, Referred to as the synoptics, actually, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And uh, the whole idea behind the Gospels is they chronicle, in essence, the same story of Jesus from a different perspective, right? So, what are the perspectives that are chronicled here? Of course, we know the book of Matthew chronicles the, the story of Jesus and the Gospel from the perspective of that Jewish background, the Jewish flair, and from a king's background, really depicting Jesus as king. The book of Mark is a little more interesting. The Book of Mark kind of chronicles more on, on along the lines of god 's deity in many ways, uh, you know the Lord being the Lord. Luke chronicles god 's humanity right jesus 's humanity, and you see a lot of that because of course he was a scientist, he was a uh, a doctor and Uh, He was also a historian. And so we see a lot of human aspects there. And then, of course, John was a very evangelistic gospel, definitely written much differently from the other three gospels. A lot of the the same facts. There's no uh, inconsistencies or anything like that. But the book of John was written, of course, to the Greek audience and written with a Greek flair to the group of Greeks that he was addressing very, very good. Now, the book of Acts, of course a great book because the book of acts pretty much is what happens immediately after the gospels the book of acts starts with jesus ascending and then uh, really talks about i everyone calls it the acts of the apostles i call it the acts of the holy spirit and we really see we learn a lot about the character and the nature of the holy spirit and by the way in case you don't know um, you might want to go back to our christian essentials series if you don't know this but the holy spirit is not an it i even hear pastors refer to the holy spirit as an it Well, it did this for me and it, the Holy Spirit, it. He's not a, he is a he. I mean, and it's kind of insulting, quite frankly, when people refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. He is a person. He is not an it, right? So you got to remember that. And the book of Acts really illustrates that to us. Book of Romans is cool. We just finished the book of Romans on Sunday night. Great book. If you want to learn about how to have victory over sin in your life and where your identity comes from, you get that in the book of Romans. I actually, everybody says that the gospel of John is the great book to give people for the first time when they're learning about Jesus Christ and they're learning and they just got saved. It's a good book to read. It certainly is. But another good beginner book for people, for Christians, and even those who've been Christians for a long time or baby Christians is the book of Romans because Romans really tells you about where you came from and your identity. And of course, the book of First and Second Corinthians is, man, powerful book. A misconception exists with Corinthians. It is believed that when Paul writes the book of Corinthians, he, again, isn't writing this letter to them as he writes the other letters. Where It's kind of a self-initiated letter where, where it, you know, of course he was initiated by the Holy Spirit, but like a letter where he just writes his thoughts to them and gives them, you know, all his ideas about serving the Lord and walking with the Lord and, and ministry and so on and so forth. That's not what happens. It appears when you examine the book of Corinthians, it actually appears that what Paul is doing is he's answering questions, right? Because you'll hear him say things in reference to so-and-so or with respect to this issue, you know? And so it seems as though he's writing a series of questions. And when you go through the book of Corinthians, one of the things that you should probably do is look at the subjects that he writes and kind of play the Jeopardy game with it, if you know what I mean. Come up with the questions for the answers that are already being given to you, and it will give you real insight into learning the book of Corinthians. And it was one of the the methods that I used when I first started studying Corinthians inductively. Then, of course, we get into the book of Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, all our Christian living books. Well, all the books in the bible are all about christian living but these really get into some details i like galatians because galatians gives us real insight into uh many of the gifts of the holy spirit as does corinthians and how we're supposed to use them with our fellow believers ephesians is strongly exhortative in nature and it makes some proclamations about us that we might not necessarily realize until we consider it for example in ephesians chapter two he says that we were saved you remember anybody can you fill this in anybody we're saved how how are we saved Not of works, lest what any man should boast. So the idea is, it's God who does the work of salvation in my life. So if it's him that does the work of salvation, I can't walk around and go, "Ah, I'm the man. (laughs) Yeah, you know, look at me, I'm the man. You can't do that. Because God's the one who did all the work. So you can't boast about the salvation that God... You can't brag about it, can you? It was given to you. How can you brag about something that was given to you in terms of you doing it yourself? It just doesn't work, right? It's not fair. So that's what we see. And he even goes on to describe that we are literally God's poem. Actually, in verse 10 of Ephesians chapter 2, it says that we are God's workmanship, right? In Christ Jesus, to do what? To do good works. So the idea here in the Greek is he uses this beautiful word. It's a word called poema, which is where we get the word poem from. We are literally God's poems. You're a poem. I'm a poem. We're all a poem. Some of us are scarier poems than others. Some of us are freak poems. Some of us are nice, pleasant poems. Some of us are angry poems. But we're all poems. And we're all God's poems. And it's a beautiful thing. And (laughs) I am inspired by the book, of Ephesians. Philippians is a great book because Philippians gives us real insight as into what Christ did for us. Paul tells us, he says, hey, look, all of you people out in Philippi, you need to start behaving like Christ behaved. And let me tell you how Christ behaved. There were times where he didn't want to do things, but he did them anyway because of what he knew would benefit you and bless you. And it gives us insight into the fact that Christ did not die for us willingly. He died for us obediently, right? And he even said it, not my will, but thy will, Lord. Let this cup pass from me. We know that. And Philippians expounds upon that very articulately and uh, phenomenally. Colossians deals with the spiritual side of things. Really, Really is a good book that deals with the issue of spiritual warfare, just as the end of Ephesians does. But I think Colossians is a better book dealing in the area of spiritual warfare. And then when you get into the book of 1 and 2 Thessalonians there's a lot of end times discussion in the first the book of first and second Thessalonians and if you want hope in the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back soon you read those books and they'll blow your mind those letters right and then we get into first and second Timothy and Titus and, of course, those would be what we would call the pastoral epistles. Why are the pastoral epistles important? Because I believe that when God wants His people to live a certain way, He asks the pastors of the church to live that way. So when you read about the instruction that's given and the qualifications that are given for elders and overseers and bishops and pastors, well, then you learn that that is exactly God's qualifications for you and how He wants you to live. So you are not exempt from reading the book of First and Second Timothy and Titus. And there's a lot of description about what men and women should be doing, a description even about how women should wear their clothes, how they should behave. And so it's, um, it's a very, very interesting thing. And then we get into the book of Philemon. Now, Philemon's an interesting book. It's, it's a unique book. It's, it's a letter that Paul writes. And he's writing to a fellow by the name of Onesimus. Now, if you don't know who Onesimus was, this guy was a, a very wealthy and a somewhat popular, respected man who was in the church, a Christian man. And Onesimus had a slave, Right? Or uh, actually, I got that backwards. I flipped that around. Anyway, the whole idea was this, is that this slave runs runs away from his slave owner. And Paul is telling the slave owner, he says, hey, look, this guy got saved. And he loves the Lord. And he's a good guy. So take good care of him. I actually want to read a very quick passage. I want to go over there for just a second because there is a a, a very, very, I think encouraging verse that we can read here. So as you can see, there's one chapter, right? And he's writing to the slave owner, Philemon, concerning the slave Onesimus. And this is what he says. He says, Paul, a prisoner, verse 1, of Jesus Christ and Timothy, our brother, unto Philemon, our dearly beloved and fellow laborer. He says, grace unto you, I'm skipping a verse, and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, you know, kind of introduces himself and he's very happy for what God is doing in his life. And then he says this, he says, I might, wherefore, though I might be, verse 8, much bold in Christ to enjoin thee that which is convenient. Yet for love's sake I rather beseech thee being such one as Paul uh, aged, Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Jesus Christ. Notice this. Okay. Here's the verse that I wanted to get to. I beseech thee for my son Onesimus whom I have begotten in my bonds. Okay. This is what's happening here in the book of Philemon. He starts off begging begging Philemon for this guy, Onesimus, because here's the story. Onesimus runs away from Philemon. And when he runs away from Philemon, he's not a believer, of course, right? And then Paul is going out and he's ministering the gospel somewhere in Asia Minor. Onesimus hears the gospel and becomes a disciple of Paul and actually becomes very close to Paul. And Onesimus opens up to Paul and he says, man, I ran away from my slave owner. He still owns me I know it's wrong. God doesn't want me to do that. And I, I think I need to go back to him. And Paul says, yeah, you do. Who's the slave owner? This is, I'm making some of this dialogue up, but I, we assume this is what happened. And, and I think this is a good thing to, to discuss because it really outlines the sovereignty of God, how there is no such thing as a mistake. God is sovereign, right? And Paul says, well, who's your slave owner? We've got to go back to him. Now, for running away, the cost of running away is death, Right? That's what happens, especially in Rome. You'd be dead. So Paul says, who's the slave owner? Well, this guy Philemon. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Philemon, he loves the Lord. He, he I know him. I've discipled Philemon. You know what Onesimus, you go back to Philemon and you deliver this letter from me to him and you tell him you walk in with the Lord, you tell him you're saved and of course we do know that God put both Onesimus And Paul together, he put Philemon and Paul together and God restored both Onesimus and Philemon's relationship and it really speaks really well to God's restoration and his restorative power in our lives. And there's, uh, uh, I think it's a great, great, Uh, book to be placed right before hebrews hebrews of course being one of my favorite books in the bible by the way if you're looking for the most complicated greek in the bible besides some portions of the septuagint you will find it right here in hebrews it's so complicated that a lot of people don't believe that it was paul who wrote it i believe that that makes a better case for paul being the author of hebrews and the dilemma with hebrews is a really easy one um, a really easy one to understand a very complicated one for the jews to swallow and it's this for the last several thousand years, how did the Jews go for, for forgiveness of sins? They would go to the temple, they would kill the, the blood of bulls and goats, they would kill animals, and that blood would as it says in the Hebrew, their sins would cover them. Now, the problem with that is this. Jesus Christ comes on the scene, and he is the final lamb that was slain, the only lamb that they need for salvation. And Paul has been preaching this to them, but they're still scared that Jesus' blood is not enough for them. So what do they do? They say, well, we do believe in Jesus, but we're going to still go to the temple anyway and sacrifice bulls and goats just in case Jesus is not acceptable enough to God. And Paul says, hey, listen, don't return to the blood of bulls and goats. You have Jesus Christ who died for you. And that is pretty much the theme of Hebrews chapter, or all of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12, of course, being my favorite chapter of the book. A lot of people like Hebrews 11 more. I like Hebrews 12 because Hebrews 12 will forever and always remind me of my wonderful, beautiful mom. And then, of course, we get into the book of James. And when you learn about the life of James, it is amazing when you read what church history says about him and who he was. And again, Hebrews and James ministers predominantly to the uh, Jewish church, right, to the Jews. And so you learn a lot from there and of course first and second Peter you learn a lot about Peter's apostolic ministry and there's some great insight about things like marriage and about the end times and the fact that the Lord is coming soon. By the way, all throughout the Old Testament or all throughout the New Testament even the Old Testament you see references to the Lord coming back. He's coming back, he's coming back, he's coming back. We see it again and again and again. And then of course first and second third John is really all about John the apostle continuing to instruct the church at Ephesus concerning things that they needed to be instructed concerning. And of course, there was even early church history. Matter of fact, Polycarp, who was believed to be an understudy of John, actually said that for many years of his life, John would walk into the church at Ephesus and when it would be time for him to preach, he would walk in and he would say, this command I give to you that you love one another. And then he'd leave. And then he would do that. And he did it every day for years and years and years. He finally got asked why he just kept doing it. He said, well, because you haven't learned that lesson and I'm not going on to anything else until you learn that lesson. And it's, it's really the foundation. And John was that type of man. He was emphatic about things. And of course, John was... Pretty much the love apostle, and we learn a lot about John. First uh, John four seven and eight is probably my favorite portion of the book of First John. Which by the way, First John is uh, very first, second, and third John is very near and dear to me because those were the first books I translated from Greek into English when I was learning to read the Greek language, and so they're very dear to me. But probably, if I, if I were to f- pick a, a favorite set of verses from First, Second, and Third John, it'd probably be First John four seven and eight, where he says, "Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everybody that loveth." Know with God that whole. It's a great Bible verse. It's, it's beautiful. You guys can finish it, right? You guys know the song, don't you? We can beloved. Let us love one another, one another. That's a great song. Anyway, um, so and then the book of Jude. Jude is great because Jude gives us insight again into the spiritual war.
0: That was a brief summary of Jonah through Jude, and in just a moment, we'll take a look at Revelation. Pastor James Cadiz will share with us one of the keys to understanding this book when he returns to Light on the Hill. You can access this teaching and much more online at lightonthehillradio.com. You can also listen to Pastor James through the Light on the Hill app and podcast. After you've enjoyed the content, share it with a friend or family member. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners. It's an opportunity to thank the Lord for what he's doing in and through this ministry. Whether it's a simple comment or question related to the message, a praise report, or prayer request, we want to hear from you. There's a place to contact us at our website, lightonthehillradio.com. If God leads you to support us financially, we truly appreciate that help to remain a biblical voice on the internet and radio, especially at such a critical time in human history. People today really need to hear God's truth. It's so encouraging and life-giving. Your support is a part of helping us reach thousands with the love and truth of Christ. You can visit LightOnTheHillRadio.com or give through the Light on the Hill app. Have you had a chance to see any of Pastor James's daily videos? They often relate to issues of the day from a biblical perspective and Bible prophecy. Just go to jamescadiz.com to see the latest live show, video blog, and prophecy show, Countdown to Eternity. He's also on Locals. In our remaining time, let's look into Revelation with Pastor James.
1: Then the book of Revelation... And Revelation is cool, you guys. We probably might even go as far as to spend a whole day just going over the summary of Revelation. I'm not sure yet. It depends on how quickly we get through everything else. But Revelation is a great book. And the Bible actually tells us, Revelation says, blessed is the person who reads these words, right? And he's referring to the book of Revelation. A lot of guys, a lot of pastors are scared to teach through it. It's easy. You know the key to understanding the book of Revelation? Let's go to Revelation chapter one really quickly. And I'm gonna tell you how to understand the whole book of Revelation. Everyone says, oh, it's confusing. I can't understand Revelation. There's a lot of weird stuff in it. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to solve the Revelation problem for you right now, okay? I'm going to give you the code to understanding Revelation. It's actually the key. It's the code, and I'm going to break the code for you right now. You ready? Here's the code to Revelation. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come. That was, that is, and is to come. When you break it up there, when you look at that, and when you see all of these things, they come together. It brings us down to verse 19. Look at this. And he expounds upon this concept about who he is and his identity. This is Jesus writing, and this is the key, right? This is the key that unlocks it. You take verse 8, and then you jump down to verse 19, and you've got the key. And it says this. And this is what he's telling John to do. This is Jesus talking to John, commanding him, right? He says, write the things which thou hast seen on the Alpha Omega, that which is and that which was and that which is to come. I'm going back to what he calls himself here in verse 8. But let's go back to verse 19. Write the things which thou hast seen, the things which are, and the things which shall be thereafter. You want to know the book of Revelation? The answer is right there.
0: Tomorrow on Light on the Hill, we'll bring you Genesis through Deuteronomy as we continue our month-long Through the Bible series. This program is listener-supported and brought to you by Calvary Chapel, Signal Hill. I have found That peace only comes
1: from you I have found That joy only comes from You. Cause all I need is.